Bibles now this afternoon to the book of Hebrews, this time from chapter 7, as we continue our exposition through the book of Hebrews, this row from chapter 7, verses 1 to 28. Thus says the word of God. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, Though they come out of the loins of Abraham, but he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord is sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood, and it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily uh, this annulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests 
to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. This further reading of God's Word. We'll sing now. As we read, our text tonight comes from Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Before we begin, let's ask once again for the Lord's blessings. Let's pray. Our most holy God, we come before Thee, Lord. And just as we sang, we come, we come, Thy purpose to fulfill. Oh, Lord, Thy laws are written in our hearts. And it is joy, Lord, to do Thy will. Oh, Lord, we pray that this would become a reality even more and more in our lives. Impress this reality in our lives. And bring us closer to our Lord and Savior to praise Thee for who Thou art and what Thou hast done. To praise it today and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the list of mysterious characters in the Bible, perhaps Melchizedek is at the top of the list. Melchizedek is a peculiar character in the Bible, only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. Once in the book of Genesis, in chapter 14, for only three verses. And then Psalm 110, talking about Genesis. And the only book in the New Testament that mentions this character is Hebrews. And Hebrews makes a great deal of Melchizedek. And finally, after introducing this mysterious character, the author to the Hebrews is going to talk about Melchizedek. The author has mentioned him before, but finally he's going to get to the bottom of who this man is, and what Jesus has to do with him. Because, of course, this chapter is ultimately not about Melchizedek, but about Jesus. It's teaching us something of Jesus, of our great high priest. Jesus is not a regular high priest, not from the line of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. Appointed directly by God, Jesus Christ is our final high priest, to whom we have access and who is able to save. And to meditate on this, we will divide our text into four points. First, the Melchizedekian priesthood, verses 1 to 10. Second, the kingly priesthood, verses 11 to 14. Third, the eternal priesthood, verses 15 to 25. And fourth, a sinless priesthood, 26 to 28. So first, the Melchizedekian priesthood. Our text begins bringing us back to Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. When we are introduced to Melchizedek, out of nowhere, the Bible brings this character called Melchizedek as he met with Abraham. Abraham was returning from war, from the slaughter of the kings, and he met with Melchizedek and was even blessed by Melchizedek. The first thing that we notice is that Melchizedek was a real character, a real person. Not a mythological being or an angel, but a real person to whom Abraham gave tithes from his wealth. Again, Abraham was a, a big deal for the Jews. And tithes were only given to the Levites. But here we have Abraham, the great patriarch, given tithes to this man, to this unknown man called Melchizedek. So though only a few verses are given to Melchizedek in the Bible, this guy must be very important, for even Abraham was blessed by him. And we'll see more of that later. Melchizedek was what we call a type. He was a type. He was pointing forward to something else. There were things about him that pointed forward to the coming of Christ. His very name means king of righteous, 
king of righteousness. Two very common Hebrew words. And he is the king of Salem. That would become Jerusalem. From, from what we have the name Shalom, peace. So he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Dr. Barrett's defined type as this. A type is an object lesson, a symbol that foreshadows or predicts the actual future realization or fulfillment of the picture truth. So something in the Old Testament that pointed forward to Christ, that taught us something about Christ, that created the expectation for the coming of Christ, that would be then fulfilled in Christ. It's easy to already see a few things, right? Jesus is a righteous king, Isaiah 11, verse 5. And he is the prince of peace, Isaiah 9, verse 6. So, of course, there were many things on Melchizedek pointing, creating the expectation of the final king of righteousness and the king of peace who would come. The fact that Melchizedek is like Jesus doesn't mean that Melchizedek is Jesus. Melchizedek was a real historical character. But there were particular ways that he resembled Jesus. And even that pointed forward to Jesus. In our next three points, we'll dive more into that. There were many types in the Old Testament. Moses, of course, was a type of Christ. The mediator, the great prophet. He was a type pointing forward to Christ. And then even the, the Passover was also a type of Christ. An event as a type of Christ pointing forward to the once and for all sacrifice of the perfect lamb who would come. The temple representing God's, God's presence with his people was also a type pointing forward to Christ. But here we have Melchizedek. None of those things were Christ. And in the same way, Melchizedek was not Christ. And yet, he was a very unique priest. The first thing that the author explains to us from verses 4 to 10 is that Christ's priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Way superior. The Levites were the ones responsible for serving in the temple and managing all things in the temple. They were the tribe chosen to care for all the duties within the temple. The sacrifices, managing all that. And what was the only qualification for someone to be a priest in the Old Testament? Oh, his father was a priest. That was the only qualification. It was a, a family business. If his father was a priest, then he would become a priest, and then his son after him. That was the only qualification. And though all Levites were servants, just a few within the Levites were actually from the line of Aaron and could become priests. Only the descendants of, Levi, of, the Levi, of Aaron were allowed to serve as priests in the temple. So why is Melchizedek's priesthood better? If they already had the Levites, why have another priesthood? And why is this priesthood better? Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. The Levites were after the order of Aaron. And consequently, after the order of Abraham. So to prove that Jesus is better than the Levites, the author simply has to prove that Melchizedek was better than Abraham. That's this very simple. If he, if he proves that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, he has proved that the priesthood of Jesus is greater than the priesthood of the Levites. The first argument, Abraham tied to Melchizedek, verse 4. When the Israelites gave tithe to the Levites, verse 5. The Levites didn't have land. They didn't have any possessions. So because that, the people gave tithes to them for the, all the needs of the temple, all the things that the temple needed, and for providing for their families as well. Normally, the Levites get tithes. But here, the Levites are giving tithes. Abraham represented his descendants. They were yet in his loins, verse 10. So it is as if the Levites gave tithe to Melchizedek, verses 9 and 10. And... Sadly, perhaps we miss a little bit the importance of this picture nowadays. Because tithing is not a big deal anymore as it was at that time. 
This was very much part of how the Old Testament people worshipped God, bringing their offerings and tithe before the Lord. So this was a big deal. And the Jewish believers that received the letter to the Hebrews understood that immediately. What do you mean? That the Levites gave tithes to this man, to Melchizedek. Since Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, so the Levitical priesthood of Jesus must be greater than the Levites. And that's the second argument. Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Verse 6. The conclusion comes in verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Whoever gives the blessing is the greater. It's very simple. Whoever is giving his blessing is the greater. So if Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek, then Melchizedek was greater. So Jesus is greater than the Levites. Abraham was the highest point of what it means to be blessed by God in the Old Testament. The great patriarch, the climax of faith and blessedness in the Old Testament. How would someone dare to say that there was someone greater than Abraham? That would be mind-boggling for the Jewish for the Jews at that time to hear that there was someone greater than Abraham. They, Abraham was the very definition of what he means to be blessed by God. But here the author is saying that there was someone greater than him. The point was simply, they, they were trying to go back to the old ways, to go back to Abraham. But there was someone who was greater than Abraham from the beginning. Abraham's tithing to Melchizedek and being blessed by him was a way of recognizing that a better priesthood would come. From the beginning, though Abraham knew all the nations would be blessed by his line, he knew a better priesthood would come one day. One day, a final priest would come. Christ's priesthood is better than the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. Or better saying, as the book of Hebrews has been teaching us, Jesus is better than anything else. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. He's better than the angels. He's better than anything else. You can you name it. He is better. Maybe we are not impressed by Abraham, just as we might not be impressed by angels, as we saw in an earlier chapter. But the point is simple. Jesus is better than everything, everything else. Whatever you think is great, Jesus is greater. Jesus takes us closer to God, closer than any Levite could ever do, much closer than the Levitical priesthood could ever have done, because nothing else can give access to God but Jesus. Not Aaron, not the Levites, not Abraham, no other way. Works cannot get us to Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, oh yes, I know that the Levitical priesthood will not get me to God. Not Abraham, but not even our works. Nothing else but Jesus, but His priesthood, His intercession. There is only one way, and that is through Him. It's only through our final high priest that we have access to the throne room of God. We have access to the very presence of God. And what else makes Jesus this special high priest? Well, he, is also, he also has a kingly priesthood. Verse 11 takes us back to Psalm 110, a very big psalm throughout the book of Hebrews, to ask a very important question. Verse 11, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Well, in Psalm 110, we, we have the prophecy of another priesthood would come. A priesthood not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. So if that priesthood was good... Why do you have another promise? Why another priesthood? Why do we need another priesthood? Oh, because the first one was not good enough. Because the first one didn't get the job done. 
They could never do. The Levitical priesthood was never meant to bridge the gap that only Christ can do, can bridge. However, Christ's priesthood doesn't come from the line of the Levites, but from the line of Judah, verse 14. From the line of Judah. And what do we know from the line of Judah? That should immediately ring a bell in our minds. What do we know of the line of Judah? That's the line that kings came from. That's the lineage of kings. This is the uniqueness of Jesus, that he is both priest and king. He is the messianic priest-king. This is what Psalm 110 prophesies about, and what Melchizedek pointed forward. What is so impressive about Melchizedek is that he was both priest and king. He is the only one in the Old Testament that holds these two offices at the same time. Each tribe had a job. The line of Judah would be the line of the kings. The line of the Levites would be the line of the priests. But here there is someone who is a priest king. No one else could be a priest king. And we know a story of someone who tried to do this, right? In 1 Samuel 13, Saul tried to do this. Do remember, children, the story of Saul. As he tried to do this, he was preparing for going to battle. But Samuel, who was the priest at that time, was delaying. He was nowhere to be found. And Saul wanted to offer up a sacrifice. The people were going away, and he wanted to offer a sacrifice immediately before battle. So he decided to take the matters on his own hands. And he offered up a sacrifice himself. He had the great idea of doing it himself. As he thought, you know what? I am the king. I have the authority, so I'll do it myself. Samuel is not here, and I am the king. But by doing that, he broke the rule. And he was severely punished because of that. In fact, he will even lose the kingdom because of that. He will lose his throne because of that. First Samuel 13, verse 14. Thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded he commanded thee. No one could be priest and king. No one could do this. Melchizedek was the only one in the whole Old Testament who did this, who held the two offices. Melchizedek is a prediction, a type of the coming Messiah, who would be both priest and king. That is a prophecy. That's the prophecy of Zechariah 6, verse 13. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest. He shall be a priest upon his throne. And a council of peace shall be between them both. A king that is at the same time a priest. A king that sits upon the throne, but is also the priest who offers up the sacrifice. A prophecy of someone who would come to fulfill both offices at the same time. Moses was the closest character in the Old Testament to unite all three offices. He was a prophet. He exercised authority of a king of some sort. He was from the tribe of Levite. However, he was not a priest. Even Moses could not enter the most holy place. Aaron was the high priest, not Moses. So the other one who came closer was Melchizedek, who was priest and king, but not a prophet. See, no one in the whole Old Testament could fulfill all three offices at the same time, could hold all three offices and accomplish them all in perfection. Christ was the only one to combine all three offices in order to fulfill all that they failed. The kings failed, the prophets failed, the priests failed. And finally, he comes and fulfills everything else. He accomplishes everything. What no other high priest could have done to impute his righteousness in us and then to impute our 
sinfulness upon him. This twofold imputation, what no other high priest could ever do. What a tremendous exchange happened by this high priest. The just being given for the unjust. That's the exchange that this high priest made possible. He was both things. As a priest, he came to save. And as a king, he came to rule. Someone who redeems you and someone who protects you as a king. He's both things. Jesus is both things. And we often think of Jesus just as a savior. And it is true. He is a savior. His sacrificial work on the cross. But Jesus is also the king who rules. He is the one stricken, is smitten by God, but also the one who holds the rod of iron. He is meek and lowly, and he is mighty and exalted. He is both the lamb and the lion. He is both things. He dies for his people, and he destroys the enemies. He died on the cross, but is also seated upon the throne forever. You see, he's both things. He's the perfect priest and the perfect king. And I love the expression of Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We serve him with trembling because we recognize who he is. It's such an odd mixture of emotions, but that's very appropriate. For we recognize who he is, both priest and king, both meek and lowly and mighty and just. He's worthy of our gratitude and of our obedience, of our love and our fear, our rejoicing and our trembling. No other is worthy to be praised as he is. And we cannot be indifferent before Him. We cannot come before Jesus indifferently. There's no way. No one else is so glorious as He is. It's like a diamond that every facet is glorious. Everything in Him is beautiful. We cannot come before Him with indifference. And what else is special about Jesus' priesthood? He also has an eternal priesthood, verses 15 to 25. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus arises after the similitude of Melchizedek. Well, in what sense? Verse 3 tells us that Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of light, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest continually. So something in Melchizedek pointed forward to Jesus. He has a connection in terms of genealogy, or in this case, in not having a genealogy. Melchizedek comes out of nowhere and goes to the unknown. It's the same with Jesus, who is undying without beginning of days and without end of days. What does it mean? Does it mean that Melchizedek didn't have a mom or a dad? No. Was he an angel? Was, was he Christ himself? No, no, no. What it's saying is that the way Melchizedek appears in his scripture teaches us something, points forward to something that will be fulfilled in Jesus. He appears as if he was eternal. He appears to be eternal, pointing to the one who would actually be eternal. That makes him like unto the Son of God. That is, he, he resembles the Son of God. Not the same as the Son of God, but he resembles. The point is that Jesus' priesthood, like Melchizedek's, was not based on genealogy. Jesus' priesthood has no end. In contrast with the Levitical priesthood, who had to be stopped because of death. In the Old Testament, priests had to retire. The age of retirement was 50 years old. Numbers chapter 8, 24 to 26. So they had to retire, and even those who didn't retire would die. So they could never get the job done. Maybe they had to retire at 50 because their job involved a lot of hard work with all the sacrifices. 
And also demanded a lot from them vision. One of the tasks of the, of the priest was to identify leprosy. But in any way, a problem with the Levites was that they stepped out of office by retirement or by death. Verse 23, And they truly were many priests. They had to be many, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Every time a new priest had to be hired, one after the other, another priest and another priest, because they kept on dying. This is why a succession line was so important to keep the Levites, to keep the line of Aaron was so important because they would die. It's the new priest, but then he died. And then that one, that's the new priest, and then he dies again. But here comes Jesus, who steps into office and who is undying who is in office forever. Verse 16, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Finally, priest after priest after priest, dying, dying, and dying, so finally comes one would step into office and never leave. Old Testament priests were not installed into office by virtue of their qualifications, but simply by being part of the right family. But not Jesus. Jesus became a priest because of the power of an endless life. He was the only one fitting to be a high priest, to begin with. He was the only one who could take that office and fulfill it to the end. Jesus was appointed, not by a bloodline, but appointed by an oath of the Heavenly Father, verse 20. He was chosen, anointed by the Holy Spirit to be this perfect high priest, once and for all. No more need to look for another one. He is never going to seize his intersection. The fact that the Old Testament priest died was not a surprise or a disappointment to them. They did not receive an oath saying that their office would endure forever. But Jesus has the promise that his office will never change. Verse 21 for those priests were made without an oath. But this, with an oath, by him that say unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever, forever, after the order of Melchizedek. It's again a quote from Psalm 110, the expectation of a priest who would intercede forever. God never made an oath like that to Aaron, but he made an oath about that for Jesus. God is the only one who can make such a promise and keep it to the end. This sureness, this, this unchangeable certainty of Jesus' priesthood ensures a better covenant and eternal effectiveness. That's what verse 22 tells us. Because he continues forever... He is able to save them. Verse 24 and 25. But this man, because he continues forever, precisely because of this reason, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. What does it mean for us? What does it have to do with you and I? This means that he is ever there to intercede for us. He is ever, ever there by the Father seated upon the throne to intercede for us. 
to be our priest, our high priest, through the veil forever. Levitical priests couldn't do this. No one else could do it. Only Jesus. We saw in earlier chapters that he had to be human in order to be a priest. Because he had to represent humans. So he had to be human. But if he has to be also an eternal priest, he has to be God as well. See, he's the only one who could be the eternal priest. Because he is the only one who is God and man. He is the only one who is truly fitting for this office. Divine and human. We don't look for anything after him. Because there is nothing better than him. And nothing that comes after him. He is the final priest. This is why Judaism nowadays is crazy. There is nothing to go back to. There's no line to go back to. to. It was fulfilled in Christ. And this is why Roman Catholicism is madness. You cannot possibly want another priest after you have Jesus. How could you want another intercessor after you have Jesus? It's madness. And maybe you're thinking, well... That's easy. I never felt tempted to go to these things. Oh, but it's also nonsense to live a life as if you didn't have a high priest and not taking advantage of the freedom that you have to come to God and praise Him. So easy to overlook the reality that we do have a high priest that gives us freedom to come with boldness through the veil and to worship Him and praise Him with freedom. We need to take advantage of this reality, to take hold of this, of a privilege that we have. In hyper-Calvinistic churches, people still live in fear. As if they didn't have a perfect high priest making intercession for them. Or as if the pastor were another form of a priest. We have an eternal high priest. He will not change. If Jesus welcomed us to his presence today, he will not cast us out tomorrow. He doesn't change. We don't need another priest. We have Jesus Christ. He bridges the gap between God and us and humanity. We have freedom to come into this presence. The veil was removed. The darkness, the shadows were removed. We come with boldness to the Holy of Holies to praise Him. We free them because we know that we have the greatest and the most awesome high priest forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. If he welcomed us today, we cannot live in fear tomorrow. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What an awesome high priest we have. He's the final one. It's him. Take advantage of the privilege that you have as New Testament believers to come into His presence and praise Him. Take hold of this reality. And Jesus is not only a king priest, not only eternal, but He's also sinless, a sinless priesthood. The other priests were imperfect. Verse 27 who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. The Old Testament priests had their own sins. They could not offer themselves as a sacrifice, even if they wanted to, because they were sinful as well. They had to offer sacrifice for themselves first. 
And they had to do it daily. Day after day after day, they had to offer a sacrifice because it was insufficient from the beginning. There was always an expectation that we needed something or someone who could get it done once and for all. That's why Psalm 110 speaks of this better priesthood that would come. Their intercession was always insufficient and incomplete. There had to be something else. There had to be something better. Day after day after day, a bloodshed happening. Insufficient. It was never enough. But here is Jesus, who is perfect. Verse 26. For such an high priest became us, or was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. It's pointing back to the Old Testament sacrifices. The lamb had to be perfect. The lamb had to be spotless, a perfect lamb with no defect. But what what was just a type, what was just a lesson in the image of that little lamb, finally came in perfection and fulfillment in Jesus. Christ's perfections. Christ's perfections are displayed before us. Holy, harmless, undefiled. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the end. Sinless. The perfect sacrifice finally came. No more the blood of lambs and goats and bulls. No more. He came. It's wonderful when John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 29, first time that John the Baptist sees Jesus, he said, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As if he was saying, This is the one. Finally, it is fulfilled. Finally, what all those lambs pointed forward. This is the one. This is the one. The Lamb of God prepared before the foundations of the world who takes away the sins of the world. This is Him. Finally, He came to fulfill once and for all what all those priests pointed forward, what all those lambs pointed forward. This is the one. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because of these reasons, Jesus is the only one who could offer up himself as a sacrifice. Verse 27. For this he did once when he offered up himself. No one else was sinless. No one else could do this. The Levitical priest couldn't do this. Melchizedek couldn't do this. Aaron couldn't do this. Moses couldn't do this. Elijah couldn't do this. No one else. But finally, here is the one who offers up a sacrifice not for himself, but in our behalf. Who offers up himself. Because there is nothing greater than him. So he offers up himself in our behalf. Jesus is perfect. So he could do what no other priest could do. Jesus is the perfect priest because he is the perfect representative of all parties. He represents the people. So he represents the offenders. We are the offenders. The ones who broke the law. And he represents us. But he is also the offended party for he is God himself. He's the king whose law we broke. And he is the sacrifice who pays the price for our offenses as well. And finally, he's even the priest that offers up the sacrifice. See, he's the perfect priest because he's all things. He represents all things. He's the fulfillment of it all. The summary of our passage is, 
that Jesus is the only way to God. That is the summary of the whole book of Hebrews. That is the summary of the whole Bible. There is a way to God. And that way is Jesus. Jesus is not a way. He is the way. John 14 verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. This is why we need a high priest. Because no one comes to the Father but by him. Not by our works. Not by anything we could ever do. Not by any other offer. But by him. It's a very exclusivist gospel. There is only one way. No other. But that's also good news. That is great news. That's the best news. Because it shows that there is a way. There is a way to God. And that way is Jesus. The way appeared to be lost after the fall. After our forefathers fell in the garden. The way to God appeared to be lost. Cast out of the garden. And then the way was so limited in the Old Testament. Only the high priest once a year would go through the veil. Just for a little while. Into that place that represented God's throne room. Shadows, images. No one would dare to come into the presence of God. But now, here is Jesus. Here comes Jesus, and the veil of the sanctuary is torn apart, is wide open, as if it was inviting everyone and saying, Behold, there is a way. He came to fulfill what no other man could do. There is a way. Screaming to us, there is a way to God, and that way is Jesus. Here is Jesus, who was sinless in our place. The way to God is not as if we became sinless by virtue of our works. It's not just for the best of us, no. Is actually for the worst of us who depend entirely on Him and Him alone. So one way, and that way is Jesus, our High Priest, who was sinless in my place. I sin was sinless in the place of His people. Who took upon Himself my sins on that cross. And who took his righteousness, his perfect obedience, and imputed in us. The perfect and final high priest. The priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Pointed to something that the priesthood of Aaron did not. The ideal priest would also be the ideal king. Melchizedek was so great and yet so mysterious. Melchizedek was a king. He was a priest. He blessed Abraham. He was so great, an extraordinary character. First inclination is almost to say, Come on, Lord, this man deserves more than three verses of history in the Bible. We want to know more of this guy. But the Lord answers, No. That's all you need to know. The Bible is not here to appease our curiosity. It's here to teach us of something. Or better, it's here to teach us of someone. And that one is Jesus. Melchizedek was called king of righteousness. And as king of Salem, he was also king of peace. But Jesus is the one who achieved, who really achieved both things. Righteousness and peace. The king of righteousness and the king of peace. We might know little about this mysterious character, Melchizedek. But we know all that we need to know. We know that although he was great, indeed. Here is Jesus who is greater. 
He's Jesus who is far greater than the greatest of us. Jesus combines all the offices, all the attributes. He's king. He's priest. He's a prophet. He's eternal. He's sinless. He is all things. And as such, he deserves all praise. See, there's no way we could possibly not worship this great Lord and Savior. He's all things. All things that we could ever admire. He's all things. He's a king. He's a priest. He's a prophet. He's sinless. He's eternal. He is almighty. He is God. He deserves all of our praises. Our lives ought to be to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy the privileges that He has conquered for us. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. So come to Him. Cast your sins upon the most perfect and final priest and come and enjoy enjoy a renewed fellowship with God for finally there is a way there is a way to God and that way is Jesus Christ so come to him and praise him for he is worthy to be praised Amen. Let's pray. Our most holy and glorious King of kings and Lord of lords, our high priest through the veil, O Lord Jesus, we pray thee, Lord, for who thou art, sinless, perfect, Eternal, almighty, undefiled. And we praise thee, Lord, for what thou hast done. Who offered up a perfect sacrifice once and for all. Who bridged the gap between a sinful humanity and the most holy God. Oh, Lord, we come before Thee rejoicing with trembling. Fill with thanksgiving for what Thou hast done. And fill with fear for who Thou art. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would not leave this place in the same way without being impressed with Jesus. Oh, Lord, impress us more and more with who Thou art, with the privilege that we have to come boldly, boldly into thy throne room. And, O oh Lord, just as we praise thee today in this Lord's day, let this be a foretaste of heaven. Let this be a foretaste of what we will do forevermore in thy presence, to praise thee forever and ever, to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. The lion from the tribe of Judah. The king who is seated upon the throne. The high priest who intercedes forever. And oh Lord, we praise thee today. And we pray that thou would prepare us to praise thee forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And may, amen.